Let us pray. O Lord, our God, your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Give us grace to receive your truth in faith and love, that we may be obedient to your will and live always for your glory. Through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. The Old Testament reading is from Isaiah, chapter 49, verses 1 through 7. Please listen or follow along with me in your pew Bible on page 665. Let us hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Listen to me, O coastlands. Pay attention, you peoples from far away. The Lord called me before I was born. While I was in my mother's womb, he named me. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me a polished arrow. In his quiver, he hid me away. And he said to me, you are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and vanity. Yet surely my cause is with the Lord and my reward with my God. And now the Lord says, who formed me in the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him, for I am honored in the sight of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. He says, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the survivors of Israel. I will give you as a light to the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and his Holy One, to one deeply despised, abhorred by the nations, the slave of rulers. Kings shall see and stand up, princes, and they shall prostrate themselves because of the Lord, who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, who has chosen you. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Our New Testament lesson is from John's Gospel. The first chapter, beginning with verse 29 through verse 42. Listen now for God's word. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and declared, Here is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks ahead of me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but I came baptizing with water for this reason, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John testified, I saw the Spirit coming from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to, ba to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain is the one who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I myself have seen and have testified that this is the Son of God. The next day, John again was standing with two of his disciples. And as he watched Jesus walk by, he proclaimed, Look, here is the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and saw them following, he said to them, What are you looking for? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and see. They came and saw where he was staying and they remained with him that day. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon. 
One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which is translated anointed. He brought Simon to Jesus, who looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You are to be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God for it. I'm a member of Crunch. Crunch is a local gym. It has a number of places around town, and I go to the one on Brook Road, and I'm pretty disciplined about it. Five or six days a week I go. I'm a little fanatical about the time that I go at 4.30 in the morning. But it's a great way to start the day if you can just wake up and have enough sleep from the night before. But this time of year is a fascinating study in humanity because we suddenly have all these new people coming to the gym. It's about the gift that keeps on giving called guilt, that people feel incredibly guilty about what they did over the holidays. They feel guilty about all the extra food they ate, as well as all the drink they drank and all the partying they did, and they have a sense of guilt and want to come and either do something about it. And this year was the shortest tenure I've seen. They lasted for a week and they're gone. They've already fallen off the wagon and going back to their old habits and things. But as one of the regulars, I know who all the new people are, especially at 4.30 in the morning, and would be curious to take a survey with them with the one question, what are you looking for? I'd like to ask these people coming, what are you looking for? And I would think the answers would be all over the map. First, of course, to lose weight, to tone my muscles, to be seen by others, to find a partner, to continue to experience the guilt that I have, and on and on. And I think there'd even be some people, if you ask them the question, what are you looking for, they would say, I don't know, I'm just here. So there'd be a variety of answers. Well, this morning I want us to explore the same question, not from a gym point of view, but instead from a spiritual point of view. When you come to Grace Covenant Presbyterian Church, what are you looking for? And I assume there'd be a variety of answers that would come from you as well if we took this survey. I'm looking for a deeper faith. I'm looking to be with my friends. I'm looking to grow closer to God. I want to learn how to live out my faith as a Christian. I want to hear good music. It's 11 o'clock on Sunday, and that's what you do at 11 o'clock on Sunday. I've always come here, so I don't know anything else to do. I come because of a traditional worship service. Again, a variety of answers to a very pointed and serious question. What are you looking for? And I want us to explore that some this morning from this text from John. Human beings are spiritual animals. We're always asking the ultimate questions. Who am I? What am I about? Who is God? We're always hunting for answers to the ultimate questions of life. And the people in 
Bethlehem and, and Israel were doing the same thing before the birth of Christ. But they were looking very clearly for a Messiah. They had a picture of what this Messiah would be like. They had a clear picture of the anointed one. And yet it was a confusing time. Prophets were a dime a dozen. Preachers were popping up on every corner and people were being led one way or another. There were a bunch of charlatans in that time, kind of like today. Ministers who become more enamored with themselves than with the gospel. Ministers who are more concerned about their ministry than they're about being faithful to Jesus Christ. Ministers who sometimes take too much off the top of the offering plate in order to sustain their lavish lifestyle of houses and cars and jets. People that find themselves enamored with things that are worldly and not with things that are spiritual. But scripture reminds us that pride goes before the fall. And there but for the grace of God is every one of us sitting here this morning. So before we become too judgmental about other people, we need to assess who we are and what we're about. We need to find out and be clear in our own hearts and minds why I am here and what is this all about. For simplicity's sake, I've decided to to label two different types of Christians. I'm sure there are many others. But I'm talking this morning for simplicity's sake about the confident Christian and about the curious Christian. About the confident Christian that is self-assured, can quote scripture and knows exactly what they believe without any hesitation or question. And the curious Christian who is trying to figure out this faith and what it's all about and what this Jesus is and what he means in my life. So I have decided to use these labels just as a shorthand way of trying to look at this passage of Scripture because I think in John chapter 1, we have description of both types, of the confident as well as the curious. First of all, the confident Christian, the assured one, the one who knows what he or she believes and the one who can articulate that and can verbalize it without any hesitation or without any question. I think John portrays and is an example of that kind of model of a Christian. Notice in this passage the kind of confidence John has. In verse 29, he declares that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He knew it and had no hesitation about it. John was clear that he was to baptize Jesus with water so that Jesus could be revealed to Israel and they would know he was the Messiah. John was clear that when the dove descended upon the person and remained on his head, therein was the Messiah and that Jesus was that one. And John goes further and says, this is the Son of God without question or without hesitation. Followers of Christ who are confident about their faith are clear and assured and are able to articulate what faith is and what their faith life is about. And John did that with assurance and with confidence. At times, these self-confident persons often intimidate many others. They are so sure. They've got all the answers. 
They don't have any questions whatsoever. And some of us wonder, what's wrong with me? Yet I wonder what we can learn from the confident Christian. What can you and I learn from what it means to be a Christian as John was? From the clear evidence that he took scripture seriously, that he was very clear for whom he was looking, that his job was to find the Messiah and he knew exactly what the Messiah would be like. He was not thrown off by this notion of a military king that was going to come in and rule with might and power. He was not taken by the charisma of Jesus or about the way he turned a phrase when he preached or about his prayers. No, he knew what to look for and he knew that Jesus was the Messiah. He was not so worried about the personality of the Messiah as who the Messiah was. John was prepared he had studied, he had been faithful, and he was confident. One of my observations about middle-of-the-road Presbyterians is that often we're not willing to put in the time and the effort required to be prepared and faithful. And realizing I may be stepping on some toes, my observation about Bible study and adult education here at GCPC is pretty minimal. There seems to be a hesitancy to roll up our sleeves and to find out what our faith is all about. And using my gym analogy, if there's not rigorous and regular workouts, your body will never change. And it seems that the same kind of observation is true for our spiritual well-being. That in our faith, if we're not willing to put in the time and effort and energy to learn about this Jesus and to be in relationship with this Jesus, that we will just have a flabby faith. And attending worship every Sunday or the new norm once or twice a month is not going to do it. It takes a deep personal commitment to change our habits and our practices and it seems the confident Christian is a model that we all might want to look to as a way to develop our faith and prepare for Christ wherever we find Christ not just at Easter and not just at Christmas but every day of our lives and if what I'm talking about is not earning your salvation I'm not talking about justification and coming to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. I'm talking about after that. I'm talking about taking seriously the fact that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And if that's the case, how are we going to live that out? Through our prayer life and through our study life and through our fellowship with one another. It takes time, effort, and it takes energy. The other disciple I call the curious Christian. Interested in the faith, curious about how things operate, but more than anything is someone who's just kind of standing off a little bit. And I think we find that same disciple in this same passage of scripture. We're told that two of John's disciples, when they heard that John said that Jesus was the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, they turned and started following Jesus. And Jesus saw them following and said, what are you looking for? And they didn't answer him. 
Instead, they ask a curious question. Where are you staying? Now, it just kind of struck me when I saw that passage of Scripture and I wondered, where are you staying? Were they interested in which motel room he was in in Bethlehem? Or were they where he lives or where he came from? No, when you look at that, there's a deeper question behind their question. And the Greek word that is in that passage of Scripture talks about the Spirit remaining with Jesus that they really wanted to have a relationship with Christ. They were wondering, what are you made of, Jesus? Where do you come from? What are you all about? In other words, their question about where you're staying is, we want to come and get to know who you are. We want to spend some time with you and be in relationship with you. We want to know who this Jesus Christ really is and confirm for themselves that he is the Messiah. So their real question about remaining with Jesus was about having a relationship with him. And notice Jesus' response? Come and see. He didn't direct them. He didn't command them. He didn't require them. He just simply said, come and see. Come and see who I am. It wasn't a demand. It was an invitation. To come and see who I am and who I'm all about. And they went to see Jesus and remained with him. And Andrew the next day declared to his brother, we have found the Messiah. They came to know Jesus in that relationship and ended up at the very same place John the Baptist ended up with as the confident Christian. This story for me has become very fascinating because there's two different personalities that come to the same conclusion. It's two different points of view that see the same Messiah. It's two different personalities that find the same answer. So let me go to meddling a little bit. First of all, it seems to me that this story is trying to say at least one thing, that there is not one way to Jesus. That the Lord is Lord of all people, of all the world, and all people are different. And therefore, there are many pathways to Jesus. Many different ways that are just as valid as others, and they come to the same conclusion and the same ending. While a seminary student at Union Seminary in the 1970s, glossolalia was hot. Glossolalia is talking in tongues. Sounds like gibberish that someone's talking about and only interpreters of that, those words can understand what they're saying. Well, this young kid from Charlotte, North Carolina was intimidated because people would go around campus and they would huddle up like a football team, but they weren't calling plays, they were praying. And one woman literally walked the campus of Union Seminary and PSCE and claimed it for the Lord. And I thought, it already is claimed for the Lord. So I wasn't sure what to do with all that spirituality stuff that was floating all around the campus. Half of my class left after the first year. And yet somehow God kept me there and got me through it. And part of the learning was the fact that I could learn from people that were quite different from me. And hopefully they could learn something from me. That we could learn from one another even though we don't see things the same way. 
There's lots of different ways to Jesus, but it's the same Jesus. Secondly, it seems to me that one of the gifts of all these different ways is that it enriches our faith and enables us to be closer to God and have a fuller and broader understanding of what the Christian faith is about. That people that are confident in their faith have something to teach me. And people that are curious in their faith have something to teach me as well. And that I need to be open to different ways so that my faith is enriched and grows and gets stronger. So that it develops and it blossoms. So that it becomes much more my faith than something was just passed on by my parents. The richness of diversity in seeing Christ is a gift and one I think we need to embrace and to realize that we only will be beneficiaries if we have different perspectives of who this Christ is, but the same Christ looked at in different ways. Some of us who are clear that our way is the only way, and it's our way or the highway, need to open ourselves up to the possibility that God works in mysterious ways, his wonders to behold, and might actually show us something we've never seen before. Finally, it seems to me that confident Christians or curious Christians, whatever you are, whatever label you want to put on yourself, is simply hard work. There's no way around it. And again, I reiterate, I'm not talking about earning your salvation. I'm talking about once Jesus Christ is real in your life, of the time and effort and energy it takes to grow in the faith, to take the time and energy to see God at work, to be willing to see different ways in which God can touch my life, to see ways in which I can grow in study of Scripture and in prayer and being with fellowship with one another in the church. It's not optional. It's not something I can take and leave. It requires my personal commitment and willingness to give myself and to submit myself to the triune God. It's hard work. But I think satisfying and satisfactory work that only enriches our lives. As a church that is in transition, are we confident or are we curious? Are we open, that is really open, to people that might have a new and different way of seeing Christ? Are we open to any new ideas of how Christ might work in our lives? Are we willing to turn loose of some sacred cows in this place? so that God will break through in a new and fresh manner? What are you looking for is a serious question that every one of us has to struggle with. But come and see is a very serious invitation as well from Jesus Christ for us to come and behold who God is. How receptive are we? Are you confident or are you curious? Or are you a good Presbyterian, confidently curious? May God lead us in some new and different ways so that we might behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Let us pray.
Eternal God, thank you for this gift of seeing different ways that we can see you, allowing us to behold your glory and your praise, and through that enabling us to be able to be faithful disciples. Give us the courage, O oh God, to be confident. Give us the courage to be curious. Give us courage to be faithful disciples. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.